When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome to United Hour, your one-stop shop for all things Manchester United. I'm your host, Nick, and welcoming back Anders. Uh, I think you were on about a month ago, right? Yeah, yeah, about that, yeah. Yeah, just, yeah, you were on just, just before we were playing Copenhagen. Yep, exactly. So yeah, I thought it'd be a good time to get you back on. I knew at that time you were giving us all the lowdown on Copenhagen, the Danish things. Uh now our European campaign is officially over. We are recording this about 24 hours after we've crashed out of Europe after losing 1-0 to Bayern Munich. And whoever thought when this group was drawn that it was going to be Copenhagen that went through. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know how that's been in your kind of Danish news over there. Oh, it's it's been massive. Uh, no, Nobody expected that. Uh, well, the Copenhagen fans, but but nobody else uh, expected that. So, it's it's a big accomplishment. Um, I mean, as a United fan, you'll always say, "Well, if that red to Rashford doesn't happen, it's a different story." But it did happen, and and here we are now. But uh, yeah, for Copenhagen, it's it's huge, really. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. Like I said, they were like supposed to come bottom of this group. Uh, based on kind of, yeah, pots and everything. And yeah, we should have been second, but for the first time in, I think since 2005, uh, we crash out coming bottom of the group. It did happen once under Alex Ferguson. Uh, do remember it? I think we, who was in our group that year? There was Benfica. Uh, can't remember now, but yeah, it happened once under him. But blah, look, we'll talk. I mean, there's four matches since last time we recorded. This pod is quite overdue. Uh, we were supposed to record after Chelsea. Um, didn't happen. Some people have been. There's a lot of like flu and illness going around uh, the UK at the moment. I don't know if you have the same out in Denmark, but yeah, people's voices are struggling and that kind of thing. And yeah, when the games come thick and fast, you know, we basically have three matches in a week. Uh, even for us to work out when to record is difficult. Never mind for the players who actually have to keep going. So yeah, since last time we recorded, we lost one nil to Newcastle. We beat Chelsea 2-1. We lost to Bournemouth 3-0. That one is the absolute killer of the pack. And then uh, 1-0 loss to Bayern. That takes us out of Europe. I mean, it's a really weird time. I mean, Eric Ten Hag is officially the Premier League Manager of the Month. He won the award. Harry Maguire is officially the Premier League Player of the Month. And Alejandro Garnacho won Goal of the Month. 
at the same time, people are like talking about sacking the manager. I think it was actually Gary Lineker who put out a tweet saying, has it ever happened that a manager has won manager of the month and been sacked in the same month? Um, and yeah, it's a definite possibility, unfortunately. Um, I mean, if you look at the kind of polls on redcafe.net, there is the Ten Hag in or out poll. It's sat at about 50-50 at the moment. Uh, and uh, look, I have to say up front, I still personally don't think it's time to sack the manager, but I can totally understand where all the pressure's coming. You can't keep losing matches. You know, there's a lot of reasons, A lot, especially injuries is the, being the main one. But yeah, I, there's a lot now who have definitely lost patience. I don't know where you're at on the Ten Hag in or out thing right now. I, I think it's... Um... It's difficult, right? Uh, I mean, I'm, I've am i changed my vote on that particular poll back and forth several times the last few weeks. Um, the Bournemouth one was really, really bad. I mean, that was that was terrible. Um, I think losing 1-0 to Bayern is, on paper, not bad. Um, but then you have to take the context. It's, it's a somewhat struggling Bayern side. Yes, I know they've added Kane, but He's not exactly been firing the last few matches. They just uh, lost 5-1 to Frankfurt in the weekend and played abysmal. And they didn't play well against Copenhagen either. Um, and they weren't exactly playing super well against us. So so you have to take that into context. And, and the, I think my biggest problem with Ten Hag is that the whole McTominay experiment, I think it's it's gone wrong. In some matches, it's absolutely a good idea to play him, I think. Uh, because he offers something different. But in other matches, it really exposes our midfield, which we saw against Bayern, which we saw against Bournemouth as well. And it's worrying for me that, that it seems like Ten Hag can't see it, because some would say, well, we have injuries to Casemiro, and that's while that's true, and Mount and Eriksen, but we have Kobe Mainu, and everyone was singing his praises after the first match he was there, exactly because he gave us that stability and composure in midfield. So why not use him? Uh, and then when we lose the way we did against Bournemouth, then you have to ask them. You have to start asking questions from the manager. Why, why did he make those particular decisions? Yeah, look, in this run of games, that Bournemouth one is the absolute killer. I was at Old Trafford that day. Uh, you know, even at half time, we were one nil down. You still think, look, we're surely going to turn this around. And then to come out of that game three nil, just extremely naive defending letting them through at us time and time again. Uh, yeah, it was just, that was the most embarrassing, basically. As I say, you can accept losing 1-0 to Bayern Munich. Uh, my biggest issue from this game was it was a must-win game. We had to score goals to stay in Europe, and we created absolutely nothing. 0.27 XG last night is our lowest of the season, and at Old Trafford, even if it's Bayern Munich, is just frankly embarrassing. Uh, I mean, I think Luke Shaw had one decent shot on target, and that was about it, basically. That was literally it. Um, so, yeah, that was the most disappointing. And, you know, it was Bayern who were just in second gear as well. They'd, like, already qualified. They were already top of the group. They did put out a strong team, and Tuchel said, listen, you know, this is Old Trafford, this is Manchester United, wherever they're at, this is a big game, and we want to do it. But, yeah, in second gear, they still kind of beat us 1-0, and they had a couple of other chances. So, yeah, that was the most disappointing thing from that game. Uh, <clears throat> as I say, the one bright spark in this run 
was the 2-1 Chelsea win. And obviously that's where Scott McTominay that you mentioned shows why he is keep getting picked in this team. We've had massive struggles to score goals this season. Massive struggles. It's our, well, I was going to say it's our biggest issue, but we also have an issue of letting in a ridiculous amount of goals. Um, you know, weirdly in the Champions League, we have scored a lot of goals. One of the highest of any of the teams in the group stage, but we also let in more goals than pretty much anybody in the whole group stage. So yeah, yeah, it was a weird one. It was a weird one. And like you said, you know, we talked last time before that Copenhagen game. We were 2-0 up in that game. Uh, Hoyland had got two early goals, but then the whole game just changed after Marcus Rashford gets sent off. Same, we went away to Galatasaray. We're winning that game. We come out with one point. And it's the same story. Like the other Galatasaray game uh, at home, we were winning and we end up throwing it away. So... It's the same kind of deja vu all the way through this Champions League campaign. And that's the most frustrating thing. Like, we did actually play well in quite a lot of these matches for quite a lot of parts of it. But just naive defending is what threw it away at the end of the day. Yeah, and that's and that's what I meant with uh, the lack of stability at times. Because the worrying thing is every time you you sit there and you think, we could concede at any moment. I mean, this team is capable of conceding at any moment out of nothing, basically. Uh, and sometimes our defenders, especially someone like Dallow, um, just switches off completely. I mean, crosses into our box is so deadly. Uh, we, we can have 10 corner kicks and we never produce anything. The other team gets one cross in and they score. Um, and, and it's a mixture of our... I think we are not good at the far post defending. Um, our fullbacks aren't exactly great at dealing with these crosses. Uh, I think Harry Maguire is doing well, but he can't do it all himself. Uh, and then, uh, and then you also have the problem that every time somebody counters us, we are—it's like a highway through the midfield uh, because everyone pushes forward. And then you have Amrabat or whoever it is alone there, and and while Amrabat actually in Fiorentina and for Morocco, actually does cover a lot of ground on his own and is pretty alone in his position, it's very different in the Premier League. It's a very different game, very different speed, and you just cannot single-handedly cover that amount of space as one man. It's, it's simply not possible. Yeah, absolutely. And I do actually think that Sofian Amrabat has been playing a lot better the last few games. He had a kind of slow start. He was really struggling to adapt to the pace of the Premier League, but that is absolutely normal players who come in from the continent it's going to take them a bit of time he was also injured when he first came in so yeah it wasn't the best kind of introduction for him into Manchester United but he has been playing a lot better in the last couple of games but as you say he can't do it on his own and we have seen this from Ten Hag right from the start of the season where quite clearly he's wanted to change up the system to just having one kind of defensive midfielder sat in there and that midfielder almost becomes a third centre-back a lot of the time as well. They drop straight into the defence there, whether it's Amrabat, it has been Mainu, it had been Casemiro, and they play that role over there. And that's the way he likes to push forward. He's always pushing one full-back at least quite far forward. Uh, and yeah, was, we are just conceding too much play, just definitely, every time. Uh, and, you know, the Bournemouth was the worst one that really just showed it. As I say, 1-0 away to Newcastle, 
you can say, all right, they're a pretty good team going away there. But again, it was an awful performance. Really awful. We just, again, created very little. It wasn't until late in that game that we had anything at all. Uh, and yeah, we didn't deserve anything out of that match. Not at all. But <clears throat> yeah, we sit here now out of Europe. But there has been the threads, a lot of discussion. And even on Twitter, we'd put out where some people had said, even pre-match, that, look, if we're not going through in the Champions League, and the only scenario that was going to do that was if we'd won and the other match was a draw, that I don't want to be in the Europa League. And I prefer to crash out completely. Quite a lot of fans were talking like that. I personally were not on that kind of vibe. I would have preferred to stay in Europe, even if it was Europa League. One, because, you know, top four, maybe, could be top five, but even that is far, far from guaranteed for us. And it's going to be an absolute battle. So having that extra chance to get the Champions League place from the Europa League for me is vital. Um, plus, yeah, I just we want to have another competition to be in. Like, you know, you're like, now some fans are saying, our season's over, our season's over. I mean, I don't agree with that. I do not agree with that yet. There's still half a season to play. There's still top four to fight for. The FA Cup starts in January. But yeah, yeah, I do understand why people are very, very negative at the moment. And, you know, that's the general vibe all around the club. Uh, but yeah, did you want to stay? If you, It could have been Europa League or out. Which would you have gone for? Oh, absolutely stay. Uh, I think it's uh, it's. I don't understand why people look so much down on the Europa League. I know it's not the Champions League, but it's it's still a European competition. Uh, there are some good teams in it, and it's a it's a, it's a if you win it, you have a spot in the Champions League. And as you said, um, top four or even five this season is going to be very difficult. There are some amazing teams in the top four. Aston Villa is suddenly in there. Spurs look good. Um, Newcastle, of course. So, uh, so I would have preferred to stay in it. And um, seen as Sevilla is for once uh, not in it, yeah, uh, there right. was actually a chance of winning it as well. So, yeah. Yeah, no, and I think the kind of theory from a lot of people was obviously we're struggling with injuries. Our squad is threadbare. And the worst thing about this Bayern game wasn't even the 1-0 loss. The worst thing is that Harry Maguire and Luke Shaw go out injured. And they're looking both, I guess, incredibly doubtful for the weekend. I'll be surprised if either of them gave I'm not sure at the moment what exactly Luke Shaw's injury is. I think it's hamstring. Whereas um, Harry Maguire had a groin injury. And you can see when he came out, he's not going to be playing on the weekend. Uh, and yeah, it's a great shame because he'd actually been in good form. Uh, as I said, Premier League Player of the Month. A big kind of redemption art from him from where he'd been up for sale in the kind of summer. So yeah. But yeah, I'm happy for him. I'm happy for him. I was never one of these who was like abusing him. Like I just, I always find that a bit ridiculous when players start just getting abuse. Uh, he's never moaned. He's never caused any trouble at the club like other players. He's just got on with it. Even when he had the captain's armband taken off him, even when he was benched, he just kept plugging away, doing his thing. And yeah, he's come back in and he's actually had a really, really good season. Um, it was interesting in this Bayern game because there's been a lot of talk about where is Rafael Varane. So he finally gets a start the first time in many games. And Ten Hag had been asked about this again and again. And he has said himself that he prefers basically to have a left-footed centre-back on the left side. So it's generally Lindelof, Luke Shaw, Johnny Evans can do that. And then he sees Varane and Maguire as better on the right side as players who are predominantly right-footed. 
I mean, I don't know what you think about this. It's something I still remember from the Louis van Gaal days where he was absolutely wedded to this kind of idea, some kind of Dutch thing about how your centre-backs must be on which side and whatever. But yeah, it has been a bit weird to see Varane out in the cold. He came back in and I thought he played pretty well. Yeah, they did well. Uh, I don't know what it is with that. that it's a Dutch thing. And uh, to me, I, I can see why they say it. But I, th- I mean, if you if you have a player who's like Varane, who's won several Champions Leagues, surely he can play on to the both the centre-back spots. I mean, it, it always seemed a bit like nonsense to me. But uh, I was happy to see him. Uh, if nothing else, for the fact that it hopefully shuts up some of the whole drama in the media about, oh, uh, Varane and Ten Hag falling out. If that was really the case, I don't think he starts that game. Um, I, and I think he did well. I think uh, him and Maguire work well together. So it's it's such a shame that Maguire got injured because I was I was watching those those first minutes of the match and thinking, oh, okay, until Martinez gets back, we ha- now we have suddenly a, a, a capable partnership because i'm never really sure with lindelof and evans is getting on i mean he's done well no doubt but but you can see he gets leggy he he is getting on and sometimes he has a bit of a problem with the pace but but i was really happy to see it and then then mcguire gets injured so just really hope it's not too bad um because i i think we need both we need varan we need mcguire and martinez we we with the injury we've had with how many games, everything, we, we need them all. And, and uh, yeah, I was happy to see them together. I think they did well. Uh, I think there was no issue. Yeah, no, I think they did as well. Then it kind of, you know, you ask questions about why he sat out this long. Uh, for me, you know, Lindelof should be way down the pecking order, even if he's comfortable on his left foot. That's not a good enough reason for him to be starting. It was even, of course, throwing in Luke Shaw in that left centre-back position. <clears throat> he was in that position against Bournemouth. And yeah, struggled, basically. You can definitely directly blame him for at least one of the goals. Um, And yeah, for me, look, Luke Shaw has played well in that left centre-back position on occasions. I remember last season, he had a great game against Barcelona. Uh, We beat Manchester City. He was playing left centre-back as well. So he definitely can do it. But I think you lose a lot when he's not in that full-back position because he is a really good full-back and we missed him so much. To have him back was brilliant. So then to have him limp out at half-time is the second absolute killer from like last night. Um, but yeah, that for me, he should always be playing full-back really unless somebody else is unavailable and you're really down to the last options. Um, I think going back to that Varane Maguire option was the best one. But it looks like on the weekend, and we will, of course, talk about the matches coming up, I don't think we're going to have any option apart from Evans and Varane to be starting the next game for us. Yeah, we will be looking at our injury risk, which is absolutely crazy. Uh, You know, you hoped it was going to get better, but each week a couple of players come back, but then, yeah, a couple of players are gone again. So, yeah, I I don't know, like, this question's now, like, is there something wrong with our training? Why are so many of our players getting injured? I don't know. It's kind of difficult to put your finger on anything. I mean, the Maguire one yesterday, it happens, you saw, he was stretching for a ball, his leg went in an unnatural position. That kind of thing happens. You can't blame anyone, that's nothing to do with training or anything like that. And Luke Shaw, we've always seen, when he comes back from injuries, you know he's always just maybe a couple of weeks away from getting another strain. It's happened time and time again. He's always been an injury-prone player. He's the biggest problem. Uh, it's more some of the others 
who, you know, not kind of players who you expect to be on the injury table that we've been lacking. <clears throat> and yeah, we will talk about that in the next part of the podcast. But yeah, we will take a quick break there. And then, yeah, have a big focus on the other games coming up. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Got your happy price, Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Back for part two of the podcast. As I said, we're flipping around some of these games since the last time we recorded. Sometimes, you know, we record straight after a game and you're totally focused on that match. Only talking about that, you're up or down, depending on if it's a win or a loss. It's kind of interesting to look at this kind of four-game period where we've been. Uh, and especially on the last pod, we were relatively happy. We'd beaten Everton, we'd beaten Luton. We had thrown away a win at Galatasaray, but we'd still drew that game. So then to come out in four matches and lose three of them, it's not a surprise that a lot of people are asking questions about Eric Ten Hag. Uh, I'm kind of at the place, though, where I just don't see any point in sacking this manager. You know, if he'd had a fully fit squad and had had these kind of results, then there's no excuses. Then, absolutely, it's down to the manager. There is no hiding. But, you know, we saw the bench yesterday. The only options he had to bring on to try and change this game when we went 1-0 down was Palestri, Hannibal and Mainu. And I know in our kind of uh, match day discord, people were not happy when Mainu was not the first one coming on. We did eventually get on the pitch, but we are like down literally to the bare bones, you know, when you have to be sending on Hannibal to play left wing, you know, you're going to struggle. Uh, so, yeah, I really don't know how we can deal with this injury situation. No, it's, uh, it's, it's an issue. Um, but, I mean, there are speculations, but we're not the only ones. Uh, Newcastle is, is really struggling from injuries as well. Um, and there are other teams. So it's, I, I honestly, I I blame the amount of matches that these players have to play, not only for the club but also for for the national team. And and uh, I think they really need to look at the amount of fixtures these players have to play, um, because my firm belief is this is the issue. This is why we see so many injuries because they are not meant to play so many matches in a season. Uh, they need to cut back on that. Um, yeah, I totally agree. And plus. We shouldn't forget that this is the year after we had that Winter World Cup right in the middle of yeah. like the season. Yep. And uh, I think that's absolutely one of the reasons why things have gone this way. As you say, we're not the only ones who've had a lot of injuries, but ours have been worse than anybody else's. The only one that's had any ball, anything comparable has been Newcastle. Uh, Tottenham have had a few kind of high-profile injuries. 
But uh, ours has been absolutely the worst. As I said, when just when you think things are starting to look up on the injury front, uh, Casemiro, Martinez, Ahmad have all been back in training in the last week. <clears throat> they will not be available on the weekend, but they are getting closer and closer. But then, yeah, we lose Maguire and Shaw. And yeah, now I don't know what kind of defence we'll be able to put out in our next game. Uh, Dallow has played a lot, a lot of minutes recently. Uh, Aaron Wan-Bissaka has been kind of frozen out a bit. And there's been some rumours about him. Um, you know, there'd been all this thing about dressing room leaks. And I actually loved the way that Ten Hag and the club dealt with it by banning certain journalists who'd come out and had started saying, basically, the news story was that 50% of the players are not behind Eric Ten Hag. The club totally refuted this. They said, you should have come to ask our opinion first before going with this. But people have been taking one and one and making five and saying that Aaron Wan-Bissaka possibly is one of the players being blamed for some of these leaks. We know that he is very good friends with Jadon Sancho, who has obviously been totally ostracised from the club. We know for sure that Jadon Sancho's PR people are going to be causing trouble in the background. You know, those kind of players with PR teams are not just going to sit around and take these things. They're going to feed negative stories to the press because they've only got their own agendas to be looking for. Uh, And that's the big problem. You know, the press lap up anything, put out anything negative. They know clicks for Manchester United is going to sell papers, is going to get them ad revenue online. And that's what it's about. But I I actually liked the way he came out with this. And it's the kind of old Alex Ferguson ways of like siege mentality of saying that we are not having this and you can't come out with these kind of stories. And after that, we've seen Scott McTominay and some of the other players all come out and say, no, look, we are totally behind the manager. Uh, I don't know how you feel about that because a lot of people online are saying that there's no way these players are behind the manager. They've down tools. They're not into it. They're not following instructions. I I don't know what, what you think about that. I think it's um, without being able to be in the dressing room and, and and know what the players are actually thinking. It's it's difficult to uh, to guess. Uh, I think we saw the the Chelsea game uh, was for me a pretty big sign that uh, these players are absolutely behind the manager. Uh, they ran like hell. Of course, then came the Bournemouth game, but to me that didn't look like. It, I, I don't see a lack of effort in the games. What I see is players making mistakes, uh, some of the tactics not being on, and and players, quite frankly, making stupid decisions. Um, and and but I don't really see a lack of effort. I think to me, what I see on the pitch is very different from what we saw on the Rangnick, where it was very clear that the players couldn't give a, a any any. Uh, they they didn't care what he said to them. It was so clear they had no respect for him. Probably led on by by a figure like Ronaldo, and uh, but I th- I feel like this is different. I I feel like uh, several of the players who are really busting their gut every time trying to to play, um, but we're just not playing well, and and that's a different thing. I I, I think. I absolutely, of course, Sancho is not behind the manager, but that's been pretty obvious. But but I. 
I don't believe that there are these massive issues with 50%, especially because one of the leaders in the dressing room, from what we know, is somebody like Lissandro Martinez, and we know he's definitely behind Ten Hag. Um, so uh, so I, I I don't really buy into that. I, I just think we're playing bad. I don't think there's a bust-up between the players and the manager. I really don't. I agree. I don't think it is. I think the newspapers... You know, like I said, they'll get a story fed to them from somebody like Jaden Sancho's agent and they'll just run with it and they'll go way overboard and get some, you know, and as I say, these are people who have their own agendas or have their own things that they're fighting for. And yeah, I wouldn't expect somebody like Jaden Sancho just to sit around quietly, but I'm sure that the vast majority of all these leaks and all are originating from him. Whether Aaron Wan-Bissaka has anything to do with this, I mean, when Tenag was asked for it, he did say that there's one player, maybe two, who we know are kind of not happy at the moment, but the rest are happy. And then people have talked about, is that Rafael Varane? Who, who, you know, who is the other one who's kind of maybe? And there is always going to be players who aren't happy. There's always players who are out of favour. There's always players who are sat on the bench. In any squad, there's going to be players who are not happy with their game time. And that's just normal. That's just normal. It's not a big deal. And I agree. I do not see that this team that 50% of them are not behind the manager. It's more a lack of quality, a lack of being able to carry out the manager's game plan. Um, There's a lot of question marks now saying, what is Eric Ten Hag's game plan? We had these same discussions under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, where people said, you know, what is his style? What is it? And yeah, for me, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, he was all about, more hitting on the counter, on the transition. And to be fair, Eric Ten Hag has said he wants to actually be doing similar. He's quite clearly trying to press a lot from the front. He wants to win those balls in high areas. But when you end up having Bruno and McTominay trying to press in that area, it just takes one quick ball and you're all the way into our half already and attacking us. And it's been the problem again and again and again since the start of the season. And I thought Ten Hag would go a bit more pragmatic. Uh, He's kind of said that he has done. He said, oh, I had to go a bit more pragmatic. But I don't really see that that much. We still seem to set up in the same way uh, where it's kind of when we attack, it's almost like three defenders, one midfielder, and all the rest like five attackers, basically. Uh, And yeah, you all of a sudden, players two quick balls and they're already in our box and that's what we saw with somebody like Bournemouth straight at us and yeah goal every time um so yeah I don't know what he does from here he's still sticking to his plan he still thinks that's the way forward but I don't know like you say you said it before does he see this that is the question I guess yeah, and, and like I said, that's my, my worry a bit, because like you said, this has been from the start of the season. This is not something new. I mean, we've been vulnerable to this ever since the season started. And and I, th- I think his idea was pretty clear. A lot of people question, why did he bring in Mount? And I think it's pretty clear. His idea was to play with one defensive midfielder and then basically two more offensively-minded eights. The problem is, I don't think that works in the Premier League. Um, and okay, Mount has been injured, uh, but now he's playing with McTominay, and yes, he has scored. But like you said, we are so vulnerable, and it happens every game. And that's where I start to worry. And say, why are you not seeing this? Why are you not reacting to this? I mean, I expect 
especially for a manager who comes out and says, I can't play like I, I did in Ajax. I don't have the players for it. Okay. But now you're clearly playing a different style that also doesn't really work in the Premier League. So could you please change that? <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing. The style and setup he had last year, it did work. Yeah. Uh, it was, we wouldn't say it wasn't two defensive midfielders, but Ericsson was sat a lot deeper and he was just given a kind of creative role. Whereas, as you say, at the moment, it's either, well, the start of the season, he tried Bruno Mount. Now it's ended up being Bruno McTominay. And often McTominay is further forward than Bruno as well. And Bruno is the one who ends up covering, uh, which is not really his kind of position. And he's not able to do that creative stuff, which is his best attributes. You know, I think it was last season where, you know, Bruno had more key passes than anybody in the whole Premier League. And that is what he's there for. And that is what we're lacking at the moment. We're not creating enough chances. Um, you know, since we've got you on here, we've got to talk about Rasmus Hoyland. I know last time you were on, we went into quite a lot of detail about him. He then turned up at Copenhagen, scored two goals. We were all so happy saying, you know, he's gone there. It was inevitable, I think, after we did that kind of Danish focus on the podcast that both Ericsson and Hoyland then got injured, like, I think, in basically the next game. Uh, Ericsson still unavailable. Hoyland has at least come back. But he slightly looks like he's struggling to me now. Uh, in this Bayern game, he only had 20 touches, which is the least of anyone on the pitch. And two out of, I mean, a third of the time, he was giving the ball away, not managing to keep hold of it. Uh, for me, even if he's not scoring, his best attribute is that strength where he can hold it up, lay it off, at least. But yesterday, the Bayern defenders of Meccano and uh, Kim, they just had him every single time, basically. Yeah. Uh, if anything, that match was uh, was a bit big sign as to why we should have uh, got Kim Min Jae. <laughs> I yeah, think very good he, he was excellent. Um, and uh, I know Upamecano struggled somewhat in the beginning of his and still has some, but when he's on it, he is still a good player. Um, I think uh, Rasmus's lack of experience showed yesterday because he kept trying to attack. Upamecano the same way instead of uh, trying to beat him on pace which was the way to beat him uh, you don't beat Upamecano on strength I don't believe so uh, um, so he's young he's raw he, this is probably his worst match for us I'd say mm. um, the one thing that worries me um, is that he's getting worse he was better when he started with us and it's mm. like he's it's like we are actively destroying him um, even on the national team, his running isn't as good as it used to be. Um, okay. but but still, on the Danish team, you have someone like Yusuf Pauls, and you have uh, Vin, who's playing like in the McTominay role for for Denmark, but is obviously twice, three times the player. But um, but uh, <laughs> they just see him. They they actively, you can see. Especially someone like Yusuf Paulsen is so good, but you can see how, which is also why he's so important for Leipzig, because he is so good at seeing his teammates. And if there's one thing that Dallo, Ganacho, Anthony are terrible at, it's seeing their teammates. I mean, Dallo is, I don't know, he's like a deer in headlights and he frustrates the hell out of me. Um, even yesterday, Bayern score. Koman stands between the two defenders 
then does the move just as Kane does the pass. In the other hand, we have exactly the same position. Rasmus stands between two defenders, does the move, but Dallo, instead of doing the Kane pass, he just runs straight into Kimmich. And I was like, what, what are you doing, man? I mean, he, he, his decision-making, I mean, he has so many good attributes, but his decision-making is, whew, it's, it's very bad. Um, but yeah, I worry for Rasmus. Uh, he, was, he was the big Danish hope. We have lacked a really good striker basically since Fleming Poulsen, who got an injury in Dortmund. So, but he had all the attributes. He's a huge talent, but he is getting worse after coming to United. And it's a worry. It's not only a worry for United fans. I can tell you it's a worry for Danish fans as well. Um, so that's something Ten Hag needs to, needs to, he needs to do something. Um, I do say, I do feel even yesterday, it's, to me, it seems like Pelistri tries to find him more. Um, I think he needs to play more. He needs to get more of a chance. Ahmad, I know, is the type of player who's really good at finding his strikers. That's one thing he did very well at, at Sunderland. So I have a hope that he can come in and maybe help him. Uh, because right now he is not getting it. Ganacho tries, but he, he's also young. I mean, he's also somewhat raw. And you can't... And Garnacho often, he's trying to score that goal himself. Yeah. He's yeah. tending not to look for the assist. He's trying to get that goal. And he scored a few recently. So, yeah, we can't yeah. argue with that. No. Uh, Anthony is playing a bit better, but I'm talking about he was absolutely awful earlier in the season. He's, he's uh, still not good enough. Yeah. He's still not good enough. Um, no goals, no assists. Um, not even really, like I say, he's not creating anything. I think Hoyland often wants that early ball into the box. And he yeah. never gets it. They're always delaying. They're always delaying. Uh, so we can't blame him for not getting enough service. That is the big, big issue. Especially in this Bayern game, that was the big issue. We were better defensively. Yeah, you know, there's only one nil and they had two or three chances, but we didn't create anything. Nothing, nothing, nothing. Uh, as I said, the Bayern defenders, they had Garnacho. Very frustrating night for them. But yeah, Hoyland is a worry. As I said, early on, he'd scored those kind of, I think, five Champions League goals. Uh, two against Copenhagen, one against Galatasaray, two against Bayern. But they're all worthless now. And he hasn't managed to get himself on the score sheet. Uh, there has been talk from people saying, let's get Scott McTominay up front. Let's not mess around now. The only thing he's of any use for is scoring goals. You know, our only other option. Because that's the other thing. Rasmus Hoyland cannot play two games a week. Yeah, He's young. He's still adjusting to Premier League. He's not ready to do that. So then we've ended up playing the likes of Anthony Martial, who... For me, you just don't want to be seeing starting games for us at this point. I mean, all right. He did have an all right game against Everton, but I think that's literally the only team he plays all right against every year. Roll him out for those Everton games. But yeah, he's been getting a couple of starts lately and, you you, you know, he should be way down the list for us. He was absolutely woeful against Bournemouth. It was it was a disaster. He was so terrible. Um, one thing... That that really annoys me about Martial is when you see he does this half half assed pressing where he runs a bit and then the the rest of the players move up and and take up their their the ones they have to press and then he just like stops and then suddenly you have a massive hole where they can just play through and it's so fr and he does it every time it's just this this oh I'll 
do a bit of pressing so the manager's happy, but I don't really know what I'm doing. And it's, uh, I don't want to see him. And then people say, look, he's going to go to a different club and uh, burn the world down. I mean, he didn't do it in Spain. So I don't know. Uh, I mean, I I don't see a future with him. Um, Scott McTominay, having him and him and Hoylund uh, basically interchanging is to me a better solution than having both of them on at the same time because often you'll also see that Scott is running into the rooms where Hoyland is supposed to be and Hoyland has to move away from there because Scott is suddenly in his space and it's I don't know this Scott he's playing like a second striker but he doesn't understand how to play like a second striker either because he's constantly when you saw you saw Bayern yesterday Müller comes on he naturally takes that um, I know his he's technically a Raumdeuter but yeah now it gets a bit pedantic but he is he he really knows how to run into space without getting in the way of the other strikers but at the same time pulling away defenders and that's something you just don't get from McTominay Hoyland does that he pulls defenders to him which is also why Scott sometimes gets space to run in and score. But Scott never does the same thing. He he kind of falls out of games. He 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 I don't I don't think he hides. I just think he he's not always the best at judging where he's supposed to be. Because he's he's not he's not uh, I mean Scott is not afraid of going to tackles and and really pushing. He he works hard. I just think sometimes he he has a problem reading where he's supposed to be and i actually think it would be better to interchange those two when hoyland is tired put scott on something yeah, like I mean, that of course mctominay's played defensive midfield he's even played more like center back for scotland and a couple of times for us he was a mostly a defensive player uh it's just this season where for scotland and for us all of a sudden he's been getting the goals push forward and yeah you can't argue yeah we've been lacking goals and he's been doing that but this goes back to our summer, where anyone who listens to this podcast, I said all summer that for me, we needed another striker. That I liked Hoyland coming in, but I was like, you know, he's raw, he's young. We cannot expect a 20-year-old guy who's had like six months decent in Italy to be a 20-goal-a-season striker for us. Then if you go into the season with your next option as Martial, and then maybe kind of Rashford, basically, uh, it was an absolute killer. Uh, I do think that, again, this goes back to a lot of mess in our boardroom. I think that Eric Ten Hag was told that Mason Greenwood is going to be in your squad this season. And yeah. it was only after the season started that then the whole Greenwood thing blew up. And of course, he's out in Spain now and doing pretty well, actually. I think he's got something like seven or eight goals and kind of assists already over there. And uh, he's already a starter, already looking pretty fit. At some point, that whole Greenwood question is going to come back again. Uh, I don't think it's going to be in January. It'll be in the summer. And it may well be for new owners to be talking about. Uh, But yeah, we will take another break there. We will have a quick talk about the ownership situation or lack thereof. And then, yeah, have a look at the head of the games coming up. So we're back for part three, the final part of this episode of United Hour. So look, there was four games since we last recorded. There's four games now till the end of the year. Uh, as I said, November was a weird month where Ten Hag gets manager of the month for winning three Premier League games, but we actually lost all of our cup games that month. Um, we've now got Liverpool 
on Sunday. I don't think I need to remind anybody what our result was in this game last year. I don't think anybody is looking forward to going to Anfield. We then got West Ham away. That's going to be difficult as well. Then we've got Villa at home. And they're basically the absolute form team at the moment. Having beaten Manchester City. Having uh, beaten Arsenal. Villa are looking absolutely brilliant. And then, yeah, we finish off the year with an away game at Nottingham Forest. And yeah, this run of four games now, it's all league games, no cup games. I think this might end up being make or break for Eric Ten Hag. I don't know. Like, he'd had a good few things. We are sixth at the moment. We are six points off Manchester City in fourth place, three points behind Spurs in fifth. So even with our crazy bad record, even losing all these matches, we are still in that hunt for a top four top five kind of place amazingly which you like you find it difficult to believe but it's because we never draw games we only win or lose uh and it's always a weird thing that because obviously you know we get this run of three league games newcastle chelsea bournemouth we win one and we lose two we come out with three points and people say it's the end of the world because we lost two of them but say we drew all three games you actually come out obviously with the same amount of points and you maybe don't get the same hysteria about losing all those matches. And that's the problem. We're like all or nothing. So it's like, oh, we're back. We beat these couple of teams, but then we're back down again. So it's just roller coaster, up and down, up and down, nothing in the middle. As it, Look, we've got to talk about this Anfield game. Nobody's looking forward to it. As I said, I was just looking at our injury list, which is absolutely mental. Like <clears throat> we already knew Martinez, Casemiro, Ahmad, are getting back to training but not going to be available. Ericsson Mount, there's still no news on when we're going to see them. Maguire and Shaw are now very unlikely to be involved. Then we have the kind of long-term injured in like Malassia. Uh, Sancho, of course, is not available. And then Bruno. Bruno is suspended for this game. He's not going to be available either. Uh, Martial and Rashford were not involved in this Bayern game. We're told they were ill. Some people, again, have been going conspiracy theories on that. But I think there's a lot of people ill at the moment around Manchester. I've even <clears throat> not 100% had a bit of the kind of cough and cold that's going around. Uh, Jamie was supposed to be on the next podcast, but has been struggling with that. So, yeah, I can believe that it's not unusual that a couple of players might be ill at this time of year. But it's a crazy. It's absolutely crazy. I mean, what team do you think we can put out and have any chance of getting anything out of this Anfield game. Um, I hope we play defensively. I want us to just park the bus, basically. Um, I think uh, I think uh, the back four is. I mean, we don't really have any choice in it. <laughs> it it sorts itself. I think you play um, Wan um Varane, Evans in the middle, and then Dallo. Instead of Shaw, yeah, the only Reguion, possibly, but yeah, but not down. against Liverpool, not against Liverpool. Um, I mean, I, I, I really like Reguion. I think he, he's a positive uh, influence, and he's good offensively. But uh, he has some. He in, on defense, he's he's a bit of a. But yeah, Reguion, Dallo, yeah, you could go with both. Um, and then the midfield, you definitely need a strong midfield. I'd say you need Amrabat next to Mainu. Yeah, we've um, not seen that combo yet. No. A lot of people want to see that combination. I want yeah. to see that combination. 
It's going to help us shore up the midfield. It's going to help us take some control of that midfield area. Everybody wants to see Amrabat paired with Mainu. But then, who comes out of the team then for you? Well, I mean, Bruno's not available. So maybe that is the solution for this game. Uh, I think that's been Ten Hag's issue. He didn't want to drop McTominay because he's scoring the goals. But, you know, a lot of people are saying it's not enough what he's doing. He scores those goals, but the rest of the game is just lacking. And he's not doing enough defensive work. He's not creating anything. So unless he gets his name on the score sheet, that's basically yeah, all he's coming to there. So all right. One thing, one thing I think that could be interesting to try is either Anthony or Pellistri as a ten. Mm-hmm. Um, because Anthony is actually quite decent in that one-two passing, yeah. but he's not really aggressive. So I could actually see him in that attacking midfielder role. I think he could be decent. And I think he would do more than a McTominay. I don't think McTominay is creative enough to ha- to be the sole 10 there and to kind of pick up from Bruno. I I would like to see Anthony also because he is defensively quite sound. I mean, he works hard defensively, Anthony, normally. Um, so I would, I would hope he's there. And then I, I hope... Um, and then I would go with Ganacho on the left, of course. Uh, and then on the, on the right side, I would I would go with Pellistri. I don't think I don't think Rashford on the left is has or on the right has uh, worked this season at all. Um, and then you could put either Hoyland or put him in in the second leg, and then actually try Rashford through the middle in this match. Because if you go for counter, then uh, I know Hoyland is fast, but I think Rashford is extremely good at uh, at uh, running those counterattacks. He's done it so well before. So that could be something to do, um, to try something different, because I, I definitely think we should go for uh, a deep back line and then uh, play for counter. It will be interesting, because as I said, it hasn't, been, hasn't looked like Eric Ten Hag has in his repertoire a kind of bus-parking performance. We've not seen him go that kind of way. Uh, you know, we had those kind of performances under Ole. Ole had an absolutely brilliant big game record from yeah. basically defending well and hitting on the break. That, of course, was absolutely Jose's forte as well. So, yeah, he pulled out those kind of things. But let's see. Let's see how practical, how pragmatic Eric Ten Hag can be for this kind of game. Because we all know what happened last season. I don't even want to mention. <laughs> I don't even want to mention what their scoreline was last year. And yeah, we're all dreading it because of the injury list. What kind of team can we put out? Uh, and it was, you know, around this time of year where the likes of Jose Mourinho, uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer did lose their jobs. You know, November, kind of December, both of them were going over there. And there's a lot of chat about that, as I say. At the moment, the poll on Red Cafe is at 50-50. Our fan base is absolutely split at the moment. Uh, for me, and a lot of, from people I speak to in the stadium around the Kano game, they just, they all just say that, listen, there's no point in just chopping and changing the manager every two years. We've done it again and again and again. We've had big names like Van Hal, Mourinho. We've had the old United boy. Uh, we've had the British guy, Moyes. None of them have worked out. At some point, you've got to just give somebody a chance to build something for the longer term. Because otherwise, you just, again, start from square one, where a new manager comes in, all the players there, he didn't want them. And we know especially that Eric Ten Hag has picked quite a few of these players quite clearly himself. 
Uh, and yeah, he's getting quite a bit of stick for that. I think some of it is a bit unfair. I see a lot of people saying that all of his transfers have been poor. I don't agree with that because I think that Martinez was a great transfer. Shame that he's injured. Casemiro had a really good season last year. All right, he wasn't brilliant this year. I know that Ericsson was a brilliant transfer in for free, uh, not one for the future. But yeah, as a free transfer, he did really well last year. <clears throat> Malasia as a cheap kind of squad player is fine. It's the last summer where all the question marks are. Onana, Hoyland, Mount. Uh, I know there's Amrabat, Reguillon have coming on loan. I don't think we need to talk that much about loan players. I think it's fine to bring in these kind of players to fill out the squad. But yeah, what do you think about this kind of transfer record of his? As I say, everybody is now focusing, especially on this summer. Hoyland, 70-odd million. Onana, 50. And Mount, 50. Uh, you know, you're talking the best part of two. 200 million quid basically i think it's difficult um because it's the same issue that the other managers have we spend a lot of money um but basically in my view the manager should never decide who we buy uh this is where the whole lack of a football structure and 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 plan comes in uh other clubs like Bayern munich yes the manager might want a player but he doesn't get the last word there's a structure, we have a plan, we buy these players to the club. If you look at Real Madrid, it's Perez uh, and the structure there. It's not the manager. The manager gets the players that they decide he gets and, and there's a bigger idea, there's a bigger strategy. We have this DNA that we want to play after this player fits into our DNA and our strategy where at United it's different managers coming in and with their own DNA and suddenly you have this, this weird... Um, uh alphabet soup of different styles and players uh which is what is a problem right now so so that's the one thing i don't i don't look at ajax where he was at his best he didn't do the transfers there he had a very good structure good academy everything uh and he just worked with the players he was given and i think that that would have been a I, I spoke to a good friend of mine who was a bayern fan yesterday um and he he's i said to him would you take Ten Hag? And he said, yeah, in a heartbeat. And I thought, yeah, I could see him go to Bayern and do better than Tuchel because they have a structure, they have a clear plan, and he's been in Bayern before, of yeah. course. But I think he'd fit in there. But here in United, you need, we need that structure. And it's difficult to, uh, to blame him for the transfers. It, he wanted Kim Min Jae. Uh, we know that. We know he wanted Kane didn't get either of them and then you suddenly have to look at different options um i think the mount transfer i i i didn't hate it when it happened uh i've always found mount to be a good player um in hindsight of course it's a bad transfer but he's been injured half the time i mean that's not on the manager yeah for uh, me it's too early to be writing off he's not been yeah, great but yeah. he's been mostly injured mostly adapting i would give him a bit more time the bigger yeah. worry like i say has been the likes of onana who's obviously made way too many high profile errors and hoyland yeah we spent a lot of money on him a lot 70 million and he's not really delivering but as i said the expectation was too high the, we had the to worst bring in part of the worst part of hoyland is that yeah exactly if we had bought another striker first if we bought like i don't know if we brought in Giroud, maybe. Why not? Um, 
And then you go to Atalanta and you say, we're interested in Hoyland. And they say, okay, 35, 40 million, because we're not desperate. But now you come to and say, uh, we don't have a striker. We'll buy him. Okay, 80 million. What do you want to pay? I mean, the, the problem is, is if we had a, diff- <laughs> a striker first and then got Hoyland in, first of all, it would be better for Hoyland's progress at United. And second of all, I don't think we would have paid as much for him because we wouldn't have been desperate. But now, again, we come into a market, we, we are desperate for this one player, and we overpay because we leave it too late. We, we don't do due diligence. The manager has to do the whole thing. That's a problem. And Onana is... I mean, it's, I, I think it's unfair to blame him. I mean, we saw Onana in the final of the Champions League last season where he was absolutely fantastic. And now suddenly everyone is, yeah, I knew he would be a failure. Look at what he did at Ajax. And I'm like, oh, come on. I mean, he, everyone was lauding him after that final. Uh, bringing in Onana and, and having him basically destroy our Champions League, that's, nobody could have foreseen that, and especially not Ten Hag. And I think, honestly, I think Onana's improving. He was not bad against Bayern. I don't blame him for the goal. I think he did decent. So I think we need to give him more time as well. And, and I just hope we can get in a, 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 a cheap, more experienced striker, and then maybe Hoyland will turn out to be a very good transfer in the end as well. So I think it's too soon to to make these kind of judgments. The only transfer I'm not happy with, where I say this was definitely a mistake, is probably Anthony for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we all agree that we way overpaid for that. It was another one of these kind of late window panic buys that we seem to do every year. Uh, paid a ridiculous amount. You know, if we'd got Anthony for 40, 50 million, which fine. is probably yeah. what he was about worth. You'd say, right, fine. Squad player, play now and again, do his thing, rotate with Palestri, Ahmad, whoever. But then when you pay 90 million for somebody, then you just think you have to play him every... He has been playing a bit better, but he's not delivering anything on goals and assists. And that is what he is there for. And if he isn't doing that, then what is the point? Uh, I, look, as I said, we will come back... <laughs> It's kind of interesting to look at this run of four games. It has not been good. A lot of people have lost faith in the manager. I saw it was that Newcastle, that Bournemouth game. There's always points because, you know, we've been here before so many times, whether it was with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, whether it was Jose Mourinho. There's always a point where the fan base turns. And, you know, kind of against the manager, there has been boos at Old Trafford. It's not the majority of Old Trafford who are booing, though. There is, there is some boos coming out there. I'd say most people that I know and most people around Old Trafford will, they're not saying the manager's blameless. They'll say he has made mistakes tactically, lineups, maybe in the transfer market, but they look at that injury list. They look at the complete lack of structure, mess in the boardroom. You know, we already talked about in the summer where I'm absolutely certain that Eric Ten Hag was told that Mason Greenwood is going to be part of your squad. He was planning for this season with him as a striker option. And then at the last minute, that's taken away from him. And you're left with Hoyland, Martial, maybe Rashford. Uh, so, yeah, if we get into that January, if we can get kind of some lone striker, I think that is where we're still totally lacking. Totally lacking. I mean, yeah, as I said, I, I, I'll say, I always like to say I told you so, and I did. It was my biggest question all this summer about our strikers, and I thought we needed another one. Um, we will come back, of course. We're getting into that. Really crazy Christmas period. As I say, Liverpool on Sunday, West Ham weekend after. Then we actually have three games in a week all around Christmas. 
you know, the Christmas period is always mental in England. West Ham, Aston Villa and Nottingham Forest, all in the space of seven days, basically. Uh, but yeah, we we may come back after this Liverpool game if we can pull out some kind of shock result. Uh, you know, again, there's another thread I saw on Red Cafe saying, what, what, will, what will present a good result at Anfield? And I was like, so disgusted to see people putting in that thread that, oh, I'll be happy if we only lose 3-0. I was like, look, what absolute nonsense. Like, you know, we're still Manchester United. Even when we were awful and poor and Liverpool were winning leagues, we still gave them a game. Yeah, there's no reason for us not to give them a game, even with all these injuries. Uh, and for me, yeah, the only thing that you can say is at least a decent result is a draw. If you're not getting any points, any loss is not a good result. But I get why people are saying it. They're all saying it slightly jokingly even because they know what happened last year. But yeah, let's see what we do from there. Um, I mean, <clears throat> out of these four matches, as I say, Liverpool, West Ham, Aston Villa, Nottingham Forest, what would you predict on our kind of points that we're getting out of these four games? <laughs> um, if Ten Hag is a bit more pragmatic, I could see us do something against Liverpool. <laughs> I just have a feeling. I don't know why. They, they, the last time uh, he really turned it around was against Liverpool, so why not now? Yeah, um, the start of last season. Right at the start yeah, of last exactly. season. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think Aston Villa is going to be a problem. Um, but again, I mean, I think we beat Nottingham Forest. I'm pretty sure we beat them. Uh, I think we beat West Ham. Uh, I am still not convinced they are such a great team. I think they have some flaws. I think they are not especially creative. I think we can lock them down with some good defensive play. Um, my big worry is actually Aston Villa. Um, of course, Liverpool, but Again, like you said, it's Liverpool, Manchester United. We should always give them a game. Even when they were shite and we were winning leagues, they always gave us a game. Yeah, exactly. And we have to do the same. Uh, <coughs> so for me, the big worry is Aston Villa. Yeah. All right. So we're looking at maybe seven points or something like that out of this run. And I think that yeah. would be enough to keep Ten Hag in his job. Uh, everything, though, comes back to the ownership situation. We're still waiting for that. I don't think anything will happen on Eric Ten Hag until Sir Jim Ratcliffe and his Ineos guys come in. I think they may then start looking at getting in their own guy when you get... And yeah, we shouldn't say new owners because they're not. Of course, he's only looking at buying 25% of the club. But it's looking pretty clear that he wants quite a lot of say over the support, sporting side of the team. The media are always ridiculous. Every week, for a month already, they've been saying this deal will be done within the week. Now they say, <laughs> oh, it might not be done this year. Uh, well, look. It is crazy. We've been waiting for this more than a year. It's still waiting. I think it's unlikely now to be done before the end of this year because we're getting into Christmas. But that's the problem. It's such a complicated deal. Minority shareholders, some kind of path to full ownership, A shares, B shares, listing out in uh, New York. And yeah, that's why, yeah, we still haven't had any clarity on this whatsoever. <clears throat> and I think it's only when that ultimately gets sorted out that we can then look forward and start thinking about a change. Uh, you know, I was clear on this podcast for ages that I wanted the Qatar deal, Sheikh Jassim, but I will still welcome Sir Jim Ratcliffe as any kind of change. 
is massive for us. And that is where our biggest problems still lie in the boardroom and above. As I said, the whole summer was messed up with mess about Nathan Greenwood and things like that. They were all left way too late and left uh, Eric Ten Hag going into this season with no clarity on what his squad was. I mean, yeah, ultimately, I think the club made the right decision to send Mason Greenwood out on loan. It was the right decision, but it was just done way too late, way too late. We will wrap up this podcast there. It's been kind of depressing one because obviously we've lost quite a few matches lately. I don't know exactly when we'll come back. Uh, but yeah, thanks for joining us again, Anders. Uh, he is at Ling for the Red Cafe listeners. And if anyone from Red Cafe is interested in guesting, just drop us a line. All are welcome over here. But yeah, let's see what we get. As I said, you've predicted, what, maybe seven points out of this run of four. I think uh, I'd be relatively happy with that if we can get. And it will at least keep us in that kind of top four race. So yeah, we're still keeping positive for this Christmas period. But Ten Hag's job is clearly on the line. If you keep losing matches, and sooner or later, you have to say it's enough is enough. Uh, but yeah, at the moment, we're still hoping he can turn it around. And yeah, the biggest problem is still these injuries. Threadbare. Let's see what kind of team we get out on Anfield. We will see you back after that. <clears throat> As I said, maybe Liverpool. Or definitely after the West Ham game, we will record after that. And then yeah, that takes us into Christmas. But yeah, good night from me. Yeah, good night. Sports Social Podcast Network.